Welcome back to the 215 podcast <laughs> with your host, Jordan Malata. Is that how you say your name? Malata? Hi, everybody. It's me, Jimmy Kemsky. And you're listening to Talking 215. <laughs> Stairs rips one into the night, deep into right, way out. Moves to the right. It goes directly to Clement. Clement reverses it, and the pass goes into the end zone. To Nick Welcome back, everybody, to Talking 215 Season 2. For those of you that are just joining us, that was, in fact, Jordan Mailata, as well as our good friend Jimmy Kempsey over at Philly Voice. For those of you that are, are that are new to the program, new to the podcast, maybe didn't listen to a whole lot of Season 1, definitely want to go check out the Jimmy Kempsey interview, as well as the Jordan Mailata interview, and any episode in between. Uh, be warned. The Jimmy Kemsky interview was the first day of me using my new soundboard at the time. Uh, you know, well, well used to it now. And I didn't realize I had it set to about a thousand on the volume for myself. Uh, so I came through extremely loud, but we've got it all figured out now. We're sounding good. We are sounding crisp. Uh, but yeah, a lot of great content on there. Uh, a couple episodes that I really liked in season one. And I, and I thank these all, all these individual guests. Uh, the Mark McMillan episode mighty mouse was a really great one uh the james seltzer interview uh for those of you that don't know james he's one of the one of the top producers over at wip in the midday show i thought that was a really fun conversation with him super down-to-earth guy a lot of fun to talk with johnny marks really cool story jack fritz really really cool story both of them are great uh also wip guys over there uh and then just really any other guest in between there's a couple fun mini series there's all kinds of great content in season one, so definitely want to go check that out. Also, for those of you that may have not been listening during season one, normally got a co-host, Joey K, Joey Scoots, Coach Joey, as everybody knows him by. He will be back. Do not be afraid. He just had baby Scoots. Uh, baby Scoots, a little baby boy, nice and healthy. Mom's doing well, baby's doing well, but we're just giving him a little paternity leave, let him have a little time off before he comes back full force. But, you know, I was... Too reared up and itching to get into it. Way too much going on uh, for me to, to take any longer. So, you know, without further ado, let's just hop right into season two. We're going to be having a ton of fun things. I'm a new Sunday season ticket holder for the Phils. So I already did a couple ticket giveaways. Going to be doing uh, a lot more. We have a nice fundraiser. My best friend had his apartment burned down the other week, uh, losing most of his belongings. So we're doing a fundraiser for him shortly. More details to come. Uh, with ways that we can just support him. And there's going to be some fun ticket giveaways, autograph memorabilia, a lot of really cool signs, number of other things, uh, more details to come. Like I said, be sure to be following us on Twitter and Facebook at talking to five talking without a G, but why don't we just jump right into the NFL draft just this past weekend, lot, lot to get into with that. As everybody knows, uh, why don't we just start right off the bat with the first trade of two trades that we made on day one, First being moving from 15 to 13 to grab to grab George, excuse me to grab Georgia defensive tackle 
Jordan Davis. Uh, you know, a lot of you wouldn't have heard because I haven't had an episode for quite some time, but anybody that's close to me will know Jordan Davis was a guy that was on my list of people that I would really like. Uh, and, and for everybody that's kind of looking at it and hearing all these talking heads saying, look, we didn't need to move to 13. He would have fallen to 15. No, he wouldn't have. The Ravens were 1000% picking him. Look, if you want to argue, we could have stayed at 15 and, you know, gone with Kyle Hamilton. Yeah, that's, that's a sound argument. Most likely probably 99% chance Hamilton would have fallen to us at 15. And look, there's a sound argument to be had there. I'm a huge Kyle Hamilton guy. I, the only reason I didn't really have him on my list because I didn't think there'd be a chance that he would be there. So there definitely is a fair argument to be made that we didn't need to pay a premium to move up to 13. Uh, yeah, the uh, the trade for 13 involved, we traded picks 15, 124, 162, and 166, just to move up two spots. I, for a draft that has been really talked about as an extremely deep draft because of all of the uh, COVID players that didn't get an opportunity to play two seasons ago, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't really know how I feel about it. How I feel about the player, I think he's great, and I think he's going to be great. There Again, you can make an argument why take a player at 13 that's going to be a rotational guy. you got Fletcher Cox, you got Javon Hargraves, you got Milton Williams. I, I get it. I do. But also in the same breath, and we'll talk about this with the next pick, you're going to have this guy who is ev- the consensus number one defensive tackle in the draft on the number one defense in college football. And you're going to have him learning from the guys I just mentioned, Fletcher Cox, Javon Hargraves, even Milton Williams will give him something to talk about because he he kind of shares that fresh out of college vibe. He can really talk to him and really relate with him, possibly a little bit more than some of the other pros that I just mentioned. But that's extremely valuable. Where Fletcher Cox is most likely on his last year with the team, Javon Hargraves is another year older. You have no idea what's going to happen. He obviously came out gangbusters to start last season, kind of cooled off in the second half, might have been fatigue, might have been a, a, a million other things. But either way, some all-pro pro bowl level players that he's going to be able to learn from. And I think that is invaluable. It's going to be an incredible fit. And look, the floor on this guy is a 10 year pro. That's going to be a consistent run stuffer. Obviously that's not what you're looking to draft at pick 13. They are looking to draft, you know, a larger Aaron Donald site player. And when you look at all of his athletic scores, that might be what you have in him. I mean, the guy lit up, the boards with all of his size, measurements, strength, everything. I mean, the guy ran a 47940 at what 335 pounds. That's insane. Also, when when I was just talking about Mylotta, I would love to see a race between the two of them. I mean, holy cow, you got two behemoths. Jordan Mylotta, as obviously in the interview that he had with us, told us that he was his fighting weight was 375 out there, six foot eight. And then you got six foot six and a half, 330, 335, Jordan Davis. You'd think Jordan Davis has the edge, but look, don't don't count my you know my man out. The Bankstown bodyguard, he's going to be out there. You know he he can hustle. I I would love to see either of them used as a little you know fridge parry action at the goal line. When I mean, we've obviously been been dying to have uh, Jordan Mailata get get some goal line action or action anywhere as a ball carrier, but I, I'd love to see a little little race between the two of them, maybe in training camp or off season you know OTAs or something like that. Either way, Jordan Davis, like I said, floor is a 10-year pro run stuffer, and ceiling is an all-around, all-pro level tackle that's going to be disrupting the backfield, stuffing the run, doing everything that you'd want in that middle of the defense. 
I understand he's more of like a 3-4 nose tackle kind of guy, but I think he's going to translate perfectly fine to this defense, and I really think he's going to be a stud. He was on my list for a long time. I was actually talking to a listener, one of our maintenance men, uh, Kyle, over at my apartment complex. He's a Cowboys fan. We don't hold it against him. Super nice guy. And I was talking to him, and he he will vouch for me. When he asked uh, what I wanted the Eagles to do in this draft, I straight up told him, I said, Jordan Davis is, is on my short list. He is right at the top. And we ended up getting him. Again, paid a premium for him. Didn't love how much it took to get him. Really didn't like at all how much it took to get him. 124, 162, and 166 is a lot to move up two spaces. But at the end of the day, you can't be that upset when you get a stud like that, which brings us to the second trade that absolutely no one can be upset about, and that is trading the 18th pick and the 101st overall selection for everybody knows it, A.J. Brown. Holy cow. I I, I don't even know. Ryan from our, our friends over at BSing Sports he called me right when the trade happened, and I don't know what was going on. If my TV was on a delay, I was just watching it on, on live TV, but he I was, he called me. He was like, hey, Eagles just traded for A.J. Brown. I was like, dude, what are you talking about? I'm watching TV right now. No, they didn't. I'm not like I'm, I'm looking at Twitter. I don't see anything. And you know, BSing Sports, they obviously get the, the scoop first, so shout out to them. But, he, you know, 30 seconds later, it started popping up my feed, and I was like, oh, my goodness. A.J. Brown is a stud. He's a top five wide receiver when healthy. And and look, the Eagles medical staff, if they can prove anything, they can prove that they can keep somebody on the field. <laughs> no, they can't. But hey, you never know. You never know. Last year, we had a relatively healthy season, you know, besides a few fluke injuries with guys like Brandon Graham, obviously Brandon Brooks, that was a really strange injury. And then he ended up retiring. We had a whole, you know, a whole episode dedicated a whole, whole portion of an episode dedicated to Brandon Brooks and, and how amazing of a person and a player he is and, and was to this city and hope that he's going to be around and possibly brought in as a coaching or mentoring role because uh, that would be extremely valuable. But again, A.J. Brown, holy cow. I'm, I'm rambling just because I'm still at a loss for words at getting the level of wide receiver that we have there with him and Devontae Smith. And look, don't sleep on my man Zach Paschal. He was number 11. Obviously, I'm certainly hoping he's going to be willing to part with that number for A.J. Brown, and he most certainly should. Uh, but look, we went from talking a ton with me and Coach Joey that you take Devontae Smith out of that wide receiver room, and we have the worst wide receiver room in the NFL, to making some moves where obviously number one is A.J. Brown, number one B is Devontae Smith, and then, look, you can flip a coin between Quez Watkins or Zach Pascal for number three and four, and I think that bodes really well for Quez. I don't think he was built to be a number two wide receiver. I don't think that was fair of us to ask of him, and I think it's really going to do well for him to, to be able to you know, have a very productive year where people aren't holding him and, and judging him so harshly based on him needing to be that number two wide receiver. Now he doesn't need to be. He can be really just that deep threat, that speed guy, or even when he's made some nasty moves on a quick wide receiver screen. I, I really think the addition of AJ Brown here is going to be able to unlock the true you know, potential that Nick Sirianni has in his playbook. And you're going to be able to see all kinds of crazy plays being drawn up with a guy like AJ Brown being that bigger bodied veteran presence that we so desperately needed a guy like Devonte Smith, who has the field awareness that is in the top 1% in the NFL. I mean, how many toe drag catches did we see that guy make? He just knew 
exactly where the sticks were, exactly where the sideline was, every play. And I can't wait to see his improvement. And then Zach Pascal, another big body, another veteran. I think he's going to do really well in this offense. A red zone nightmare. I mean, the guy's kind of like a Greg Ward. Didn't have a ton of catches, but always had a fair amount of touchdowns. Uh, just you know, seems to do really well in the red zone when his number is called. Quez Watkins obviously has a ton of potential. Really just hoping that uh, that Jalen Hurts can continue to develop with accuracy as well as that touch on the deep ball. Obviously, one of my main talking points was his underthrown deep balls when all we heard last training camp was, oh, you know, he's he's struggling here and there, but man, his deep ball looks great. And you saw maybe four good deep balls and, you know, dozens of really, really poor, you know, timing. That's most of the thing. It's timing. He waits too long. He needs to be able to pull the trigger a little bit more. But a lot of rumors is he's working with a guy that Josh Allen worked with between his second and third season. So if you see any kind of rise similar to what Josh Allen had, obviously we're all going to be very happy. Uh, but let's go right back to the draft and with our second pick. Uh, and that's going to be at 51 overall, taking Nebraska center Cam Jurgens. I'm going to be honest. Right when the pick was announced, I was like, don't love it. This is a draft in, that's very deep, as I mentioned. And in the second round, you are looking for a key contributor right away. And if everything goes as planned, Cam Jurgens won't see the field once this season, except for maybe like a, a meaningless week 18 game. Uh, yes, I did say week 18, obviously 17 week season. So uh, game 17, week 18. Aside from that, you're really not going to see him out there. So I was, I didn't hate it because as anybody listened last year, I was a big Creed Humphrey guy. I was saying they should have taken him in the second round. And look, Landon Dickerson, I, I he made me eat my words for the first year, really hoping that he stays healthy and continues to make me eat my words because he is obviously a mammoth of a man and an incredible guard. And I think he needs to stay there and, and not be a center. Uh, so, you know, I can't be too hypocritical and be too judgmental of the pick. But I was a little upset until I listened to Jason Kelsey speak right after the pick. I was watching the Bleacher Report draft show. Uh, and they had Jason Kelsey on there. And he was live when they made the pick. And he he said right on there, he was like, look, I, I could have told you. I wouldn't because the draft was ongoing. But I could have told you, you know, a week ago that if this guy was available at 51, that we are going to take him. He was like, the front office for the past two to three years has been using me to you know, scout different center prospects. And, and how cool is that? How cool of a guy is Jason Kelsey that he's like, yeah, no problem. I would love to, to pick my, uh, my replacement, you know, and, and, and he's you know, willing and happy to do so. So that's pretty awesome that, that he went out there and was able to do that. And he, he said it right there. He was like, over the past two to three years, this guy's hands down my favorite prospect. If you were going to have me, you know, gun to my head, say who is the person that is most likely to be the next me? He's like, it's it's Cam Jurgens, and that makes sense. He's a bit undersized, he's you know, but he's very athletic. He's got a lot of a lot of power, but again, a little bit undersized. You know, some of the measurements aren't exactly what you'd be looking for in the offensive line. But how many times do we hear Jason Kelsey is too small? He's too small. He's he's undersized, and Jason Kelsey, much like that Jordan Davis pick, is going to be able to teach him. So many things. He said it right in that same talk with Bleacher Report. He said, I can't wait to work with this guy and teach him everything I know. And so listening to that, it turned me very quickly into being a big fan of this pick. Obviously, a number of great players. And we'll talk about our third round selection, which a lot of people are screaming for us to take in the second round. But hats off to Howie for for holding steady and getting insane value in the third round or what everybody believes 
to be insane value. But Cam Jurgens, you know, uh, beef farmer, cattle farmer, can't wait to try some of Cam Jurgens family's beef jerky. Definitely looking into where I can get my hands on some of that. Big beef jerky guy. Who knows? Maybe we can get a little Cam Jurgens beef jerky sponsorship. Shout out Cam Jurgens beef jerky. I uh, would love that. That'd be pretty sweet. Uh, but yeah, fan of the pick. You know, first two picks right off the bat, doing pretty well. Jordan Davis, I think that's an A. Cam Jurgens, it's tough to really grade because, again, it, I, I, I'm saying you can't accurately grade a draft for at least two years. Uh, and, and you're really not going to be able to accurately grade his play for at least two years because he's not going to be on the field for any of the first year, which brings us to another guy that may not see the field uh, for a portion de- debating or, or depending on what source you're really looking at. And that's Georgia linebacker, Nicobe Dean. This is a guy that was projected in early mocks to be the Eagles first round pick at 15. This guy is the leader of a defense that was the best defense in all of college football. And he fell all the way to the middle of the third round. A lot of people are saying it's because of injury risk or something like that. Some people say he didn't interview all that great. Who cares? Look, we just took a guy with way more injury concern than Landon Dickerson last year. And obviously we are extremely happy with what we're getting in that guy's one of the best pass or run blocking uh, guards in the NFL. And he's developing very quickly into a great pass blocker. So why not? I mean, are you kidding me? We're getting first round talent in the third round. How many tweets did you see from draft experts from NFL players saying, man, the Eagles may have gotten the steal over the entire draft at pick 83 with Nicobe Dean. How cool is that? So really like the pick if he can you know he apparently has a pec strain pec tear it really depends where you're talking about he went to an independent doctor that uh, or two of them that both said it's just a pec strain he himself said he's going to be a full participant in off-season practices and rookie camp and everything so again depending on where you're listening who you're talking to it, it really depends there on on who uh or on how long it's going to take for him to to see the field but look getting him as a as the will linebacker, Kazir White as the middle linebacker, and Hassan Reddick as the strong side linebacker. That's pretty incredible. That's that's kind of awesome, especially going from Eric Wilson, who didn't even stay on the team the whole year, and you still have you know T.J. Edwards out there, who who I'm very high on. You still have the developing Sean Bradley. You, you still have Davion Taylor, who when he's healthy looks pretty good. So. You went to a you know a very weak position to possibly a pretty deep one uh, with with linebacker now. So big fan of that pick. I was screaming for it, and I I know I'm not the only one that sat there and said, "Oh, obviously he needs to take it." But there's no way how he's going to make that pick. He's not going to make the obvious pick. How could he take Nicobe Dean in the third round when he's got some random USC player that I'm sure is available? But I I know I was pretty surprised when they announced it. But, you know, no no less surprise than any of the Green Bay picks in the first round or pretty much any of the Patriots picks. I mean, why is the national media so afraid to, you know, to criticize Bill Belichick? I get he has six, you know, world championships, but the guy, the guy's drafts are shit. And the, the drafts he had that he had this year was quite a head scratcher. But we're not here to talk about them. We're here to talk about the birds. Round six, pick, pick number 181 overall. We traded... Up for this one, giving away picks. I believe it was picks 237 and 188 for this selection. Pick another linebacker, interior linebacker, Kyron Johnson out of Kansas. 
didn't really watch a whole lot of Kansas games during the season, but I did follow the senior bowl pretty well. And this guy was just abusing offensive linemen. And look, he ran a four 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 forty, which is obviously extremely fast, a little bit undersized. Well, he's pretty, pretty darn undersized. Six foot, 235 pounds. Uh, he, he's kind of been used as an edge rusher. He, he's been kind of moved around a little bit. Strong side linebacker. He's He's been all over the place. But having a guy like that to come into training camp and, and fight for, for a spot on the team, I think he's got a good chance of making it. Obviously, you're not going to trade up for a player unless you think he's got a good shot of making it. So, you know, don't have a whole lot to talk about with him. I thought it was really cool that he himself, as well as most of the experts, said that he he really models his game around Hassan Redick, uh, now his teammate. And I think that's pretty accurate, just looking at some of his film, some of his tapes. So would love to see him develop into a, a key contributor maybe as a, a third rotational guy in there. You you obviously know, as we talked about, there's a lot of injuries with this team throughout its history, so I think he could do well. And then the last pick of the draft for the Eagles was one, 198, and that is tight end out of SMU, Grant Calcaterra. Again, don't know a whole lot about him. He was an all-AAC second-team player. He played three seasons for Oklahoma. <sighs> I don't know. He had, he had a concussion that kind of took him out and then shout out to him. He, he pursued a career as an EMT. You know, I know I was a paramedic and they're better than EMTs, but still love our first responders. Uh, humble brag there. Not a big deal. Uh, but yeah, played for SMU after uh, a, a long stint at Oklahoma, uh, caught 38 passes, 465 yards and four touchdowns. Look, he's got a chance to make the team. Obviously that second, Tight end spots kind of wide open. People had extreme, high, extremely high hopes for Tyree Jackson. Uh, you know, it was it was terrible to see him with just with such terrible injury problems with that broken back in the preseason and then the ACL uh, to end the season. And people are still pretty high on Jack Stoll. Uh, Noah Tagaye, I believe is how you pronounce it, is another guy in there. And then obviously everyone's favorite tight end, J.J. Ortega Whiteside. Recently switched from wide receiver to tight end. Who the hell cares? Cut the guy already. The guy sucks. He's a great blocker. So woohoo! We you can say he's a blocking tight end, but I'm looking for a guy that can catch as well. Uh, which is like tight end one, Dallas Goddard. You know, one of the best blocking, one of the best receiving tight ends in the NFL, and I think he's going to have an incredible season this year. So look, again, you can't accurately grade a draft until two to three years afterwards. But on face value, it is hard to say this is anything but an A. And I do throw that that A.J. Brown trade into it because it was during the draft and it involved draft picks. So I don't think you can say it didn't it, it, or it doesn't you know, fall into the grade of the draft because it, it certainly does. But it's an A. It's an A right off the bat. Uh, some of the things that I want to talk about as well was the, the quarterbacks that really weren't taken in this draft, or at least weren't taken until very late, that does not bode well for the Eagles. It really doesn't. When there are a number of quarterback needy teams, and a lot of them also have two first-round picks next year, it's it's really meaning that if Jalen Hurts doesn't have a good year this year and they want to use those picks to move up to get one of the top quarterbacks next year, it's going to cost that much more because it's going to be just an inflated market with a lot of different teams that are going to be looking to do that exact same thing with similar uh, draft capital to do so. So don't love that. Uh, but our undrafted free agent market, you can't really 
cover the whole draft until you cover the undrafted free agent market because as everyone knows the stat that comes out every year after the draft there are more undrafted free agents in the hall of fame than first overall picks obviously it kind of makes sense there's only one first overall pick for a year there's hundreds of undrafted free agents a year uh, so it makes makes a lot of sense that that happens but it's still a cool cool stat uh leading that undrafted free agent market is carson strong can we not talk like carson strong wasn't projected to be a third round pick I get everybody fell, but Carson Strong, a lot of people were saying, has the strong, strongest arm of the quarterback class. And obviously his knee injuries, he had two major knee surgeries as one of the main contributing factors as to why he fell, as well as him playing for Nevada, not a very big powerhouse school. But Carson Strong is poised to to take a backup role. You have a, a team that has an injury that's willing to pay a premium for Gardner Minshew, a la the Sam Bradford trade. No, I don't think we're ever going to get anywhere close to a first-round pick for him. But you have a team that has an injury late in the year. Obviously, other teams aren't going to trade away good quarterbacks to this team. You got Gardner Minshew sitting right there, proven winner in the NFL uh, with the number of games he played with Jacksonville as well as for any of the, the game he played with, with us and looked very good. Somebody's going to say, hey, why don't we throw a third pick to Philly for Gardner Minshew? Look, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be blown away if they give you a second, you give him Gardner Minshew in a sixth. And I'm all about that. When you got a guy like Carson strong in the wings to work with, and then you grab, you know, obviously you don't grab Joe Flacco, but grab another veteran out there. Maybe a Ryan Fitzpatrick, if he's willing to take more of a teaching role uh, to, to coach up, you know, Carson strong. And then who knows if Jalen Hurts doesn't impress you are, I can't even get into that because you already know with Carson strong with the name, he was heading into it. You know, a, a stretch of bad games. People are going to be like, oh, let's bring Carson Strong in there. The guy has the strongest arm in the NFL. Get him out there. You already know it's going to happen. I'm kind of holding my my tongue on, on talking too much about that until we're in that situation. But again, think that was a great pickup as an undrafted free agent. I'll talk a lot more about some of these guys uh, at a later date. But I thought something cool as well was the top three undrafted free agent uh, contracts Uh of guarantees were all signed by the Eagles. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, another a couple other na- names was Mario Goodrich, cornerback out of Clemson. Obviously Clemson is a, is a pretty large school. They gave him a fully guaranteed $217,000 uh, contract, uh, which you know put it's the second highest guaranteed undrafted free agent contract last year. Uh, Jack Stoll got 122.5 million. And then obviously Carson strong, uh, got something around 330 or excuse me. I'm saying, I'm saying million thousand, 217,000. Uh, Jack Stoll got 122,000 cards and strong somewhere got around 330,000. Um, so, you know, obviously they got some guys there that, that are very talented. And like I said, with how deep this draft is, you're getting a lot of talent in the undrafted free agent market from players that took off time due to COVID or, or various other region re- reasons. A couple other big names, uh, Josh Joby, cornerback out of Clemson or out of Alabama. Uh, Josh Blackwell, cornerback out of Duke. Noah Ellis was another guy that they gave a lot of guaranteed money to 240,000 uh, defensive tackle out of Idaho. So they obviously, you're not going to throw around money like that uh, with, with nothing crazy. 240,000 in guarantees to Kennedy Brooks running back out of Oklahoma. He had three 1000 yard rushing seasons. Uh, Oklahoma obviously is no team to scoff at. And then, Best name of the undrafted free agent market for the Eagles, William Dunkel, guard out of San Diego State, 6'4", 328. He started 30 games. He was primarily a right guard, uh, but he's only 22 years old. 
and he uh, he bulked up. He was 328 at the combine, but bulked up to almost 350 at his pro day. So definitely put on some weight there. Josh uh, Sills, guard out of Oklahoma State. Reed Blankenship. Hey, look, if he's anything like the other R Blankenship in the NFL, I don't care what position he is. If he's performing like uh, Rodrigo Blankenship, but uh, Reed Blankenship, big fan of that. And uh, he's from Middle Tennessee State Mustangs. Go go MTSU. Uh, 419 tackles in his career. Got to love those kind of numbers. Finished 2021 with 110 tackles, 10 tackles for a loss, nine pass breakups. Uh, and he's a three, three-year captain for that team. Uh, Bertain Covey, wide receiver out of Utah, but he's primarily a kick return, punt return guy. Whatever it takes to get Jalen Rager out of that role. Uh, there's a lot of really impressive highlights for him. And then EJ Perry, kind of a, a camp arm. Uh, he is a wide or a quarterback out of Brown. Uh, 3,000 yards, 23 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. Had a had a high completion percentage of 66.4, but he's kind of just a camp arm. But can't be mad at it. But again, undrafted free agent market did very well with that with guys like uh, you know, Carson Strong leading that and Josh Joby uh, as some of the some of the top names out of that group. So we're going to talk a ton more about the Eagles as episodes come on, but we just kind of want to bring season two uh, back into the play where we're going to talk a little bit about everybody. And I already mentioned the Phils and how I have a su- Sunday season ticket package. We're going to be having some ticket giveaways. But why don't we get right into the Phillies? 11 and 11 right now. Uh, obviously rebounded pretty well uh, off after being combined no hit by the Mets two nights ago uh, to last night winning 4-1. to one. Reese Hoskins finally got his second home run of the season with a bomb. Um, but look, for a team that was supposed to have an awful defense and just be you know, screw defense, hit dingers. The bats have been dead for a good portion, minus a series against the Rockies, who is, you know, the worst, possibly one of the bottom three to five teams in the majors. So it's great to see some runs scored against them, but the bats for the most part have been pretty dead. Uh, Batting average being led by, I don't don't include number 37 uh, because he's only played, he's only played seven games out of 18 at bats. Uh, But Alec Bohm, Big Bohm guy. You'll hear me say that every Bohm at bat. I'm a big Bohm guy. He's leading the way with 308. Castellanos, which you all listened to my Phillies offseason episode where we had uh, Jordan, uh, excuse me, Ben Silver from Phillies SI at Not Inconsistent. Definitely want to follow him if you're a Phillies fan. Uh, I was saying with him and Joey that he was my number one offseason target. Uh, he's batting 300. He's got a lot of pop. He's in, you know a number of extra base hits, including three home runs. Kyle Schwarber. Average is down. He's hit better of recent uh, five dingers on the year. So you do like to see that kind of trying to figure out where he falls in lineup might try him back at the, the leadoff position after recently hitting a little bit better because he's only hitting 169 right now on the season. Harper after a slow start starting to really pick it back up. He's, you know, of recent he's hitting 253 for the season, but he seems to be getting, you know, more and more uh, hits at the plate. As the season goes on, elbow injury is a little concerning that he's been the DH for this long. Really want to see him back in the field where you can get use that DH spot kind of on an, a number of different players. You want to be able to give JT you know, a break every now and then. He just, I believe, either tied or broke his record for most uh, most innings as a catcher in a row. And you know, when you want to see this guy deep into September and hopefully October, you want to see him fresh. And so you want to be able to have that still bat where you maybe have him a DH, but you do want to give him some rest behind the the dish. 
And so would love to see Bryce Harper be able to get back into defensive action, give JT a DH role every now and then, every now and again. Uh, but either way, Reese Hoskins, like I said, struggling as well. He started the season extremely hot. Now he's he's cooled off greatly. He's batting 197. Finally, he hit that second home run last night. I'm still a big Reese guy. I think he's going to do very well. Uh, again, you can always move Alec Bohm to first and DH Reese once Harper gets back. But Alec Bohm, after that three-error game, Look, the guys, the kids play pretty good defense as well. Knock on wood, I uh, I'm not overly optimistic that that's going to translate to the rest of the season. Uh, but he's playing pretty well. Obviously, Bryson Stock got sent back down to AAA, get some more consistent at bats as he went something like eight or nine games without an at bat. Uh, started looked good the first game, looked great in spring training, looked incredible in spring training, uh, but didn't seem to be fully prepared to to be a major league contributor right now. So he's back in the minors. Uh, Matt Veerling started very cold, a little bit warmer now, but unfortunately with that Mickey Moniak injury and with his cold start, it opened the door for Odubel to come back into play. And number 37 is, aside from him consistently being the dumbest player in the major leagues, he's hitting relatively well. He had a home run the other night that I don't believe has come down yet. Um, Garrett Stubbs, solid backup catcher, a hell of a lot better than anybody we had backup catching the past couple of seasons. Uh, Didi. He's hitting pretty well. He's kind of in and out of the lineup a little bit with some injuries, but 275 doesn't have a home run on the season yet. But I believe if you look at the last week, he is hitting, let's see, he's hitting over the past 15 days. I believe he's hitting, yeah, he's hitting 300. So over the past two weeks, he's hitting a little bit better than a season average. Um, so like to see that. But look, overall, bats need to wake up. If they want to really be successful, bats needs to wake up. And we need to get a new manager. I can't say it enough. Joe Girardi sucks and he is managing like he knows that he's already lost the job. That other night I was at that game with Angel Hernandez behind the, the plate being Angel Hernandez. For those of you that don't know, Angel Hernandez is he's the worst umpire major league baseball may have ever seen. He sued the, the major league baseball organization a number of years ago uh, for racial discrimination for the fact that he hasn't umpired a World Series game in something like 12 or 14 years, something like that. And MLB argued, well, we don't have you in a World Series game because you don't consistently show the ability, you know, some kind of legal jargon, basically saying, you suck. You're not in these big games because you aren't good enough to be in these big games. And the court agreed. The court said, no, it's not because you're racist, because you're just bad. But... MLB union protects him. He still has to be an umpire because he is completely protected and can't be touched. And we got bit because of it. This guy was awful all game long. And as Schwarber will tell you, it was for both sides. And the fact that Joe Girardi didn't come out once until after Schwarber got tossed, which was the second out in the ninth inning is a joke. He should have been out there in the sixth inning. Just even, you know, just to say like, look, man, like this is bad. Like you got to go out there and defend your guys when you're seeing terrible ring ups on pitches. The the one strike called against uh, against Segura was the lo- most off the plate strike called this entire season. It's something like six point seven inches off the plate. That's incredible. It nearly hit him, and he called it a strike. And you're not going out there defending him. And then after Kyle Schwarber has the ejection of the year, early candidate for ejection of the year. You see Joe Girardi walk out there, and he's like, hey, Angel, come on, man. You've been bad. You got to understand Schwarber's just upset. 
Angel's like, Joe, you got to get back to the dugout. He's like, okay, fine. And he's not fighting. He has no desire to be there. He's coaching terribly. He has no kind of sense of when to keep players in the lineup, when to take them out. You had Alec Boom hitting something like 700 at the beginning of the year, and he he would give him four or five games off in a row. You had JT go four for four one night and you know just seemed to be on fire against the same team the next day. He gives him a rest, doesn't even play him at all. And then the game after that, I believe he goes 0 for 4, completely just kills any kind of momentum that, or, or you know hot streak that he had going there. The guy has no idea what he's doing. You can look at here and there where he, you know, like last game where Gibson only could go four and a third, and he was able to use the the bullpen pretty well to to pitch deep into the game and give up no more runs. Shout out Jose Alvarado came in there, seven pitches, two Ks, got out of the fourth inning or at the fifth inning. And Knable is, is shaping up into a consistently inconsistent closer. Uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez is obviously pitching very well. And a couple other guys uh, are, are doing pretty well. But when you have improvement in the bullpen, it's a lot, it's a lot, it's very easy to be like, oh, Joe Girardi is doing great. He's pulling the, he's you know calling the right numbers when, when we need him. No, it's just an improved bullpen. Joe Girardi sucks, which brings us to another head coach that sucks. And that's Glenn Rivers. Obviously, this weekend was full of great news and you know great moments with the AJ Brown trade, with the Jordan Davis pick, with all kinds of different moves. We we won Game Six on the road in Toronto, and then out of nowhere, Joel Embiid fractured orbital and a concussion, and you're, and ruled out for Game One and Two of the the series against the Heat. And you're like, we can't. Why can't we have nice things? Why can't we have nice things? And look. I'm not going to say that Pascal Siakam isn't the number one reason for this injury. He is. He had a dirty play. Screw Toronto, their fans, their announcers, and all of their beat writers as they were absolutely classless, cheering Embiid's injury. The announcer saying, you, you know, you get what you deserve when he caught that elbow. And of course, Joel gets called for the foul when he gets elbowed in the eye, which breaks his fractures his skull and gives him a concussion, but Joel gets called for the foul. Great job, NBA officiating. And Pascal Siakam is just a dirty, whining bitch of a player. And and, and look, he is the most to blame. He is. But how can you not also blame the head coach of the 76ers? Jack Fritz, who you know I'm a big fan of, sounded like a total moron today on WIP when you're saying, look, look, everybody's trying to blame Glenn Rivers, and he went to back to calling him Doc when he was the one that started the whole, oh, no, we call him Glenn. Like, pick a side there, Jack. But he was like, how can anybody blame Glenn Rivers, Doc Rivers, for for having it on there? Yeah, Delco, Jack, Doc Rivers out there for for having him out there. I mean, this it's, it's a winning mentality. We need a winning mentality out there on the court. You need a winning mentality. Shut up. You were up 29 points with less than four minutes to play when that injury occurred. You show me any NBA playoff game that a team blew a 29-point lead with less than four minutes to play, and I'll say, okay, you're right. I get it. Doc Rivers sucks. He blows leads. But even Doc wouldn't blow a 29-point lead with three minutes and 58 seconds to go. So take your winning mentality and shove it. I mean, I, I hate to say anything good about Howard Eskin, but he was right. Jack Fritz is a dope. I mean, that was a dope of a take. Glenn Rivers, after having a career 
of having no idea when to pull, put lineups in, when to take lineups out, when to call a timeout, when to stop a run. You, you had to see it coming. He had most of, if not all, the starters out at that time of the injury in a game that was already clinched. Why? Joel Embiid, in his history, gets injured. You had, I don't even remember what the injury was last year. Was It, it was a partially torn meniscus. There it is. I did remember it. I'm just that good. You're welcome. Partially torn meniscus last year. Uh, he, he had missed most of his, he missed entirety of the first season, most of the second season. Great deals of his third, fourth, fifth season. Why have him out there? You know the guy gets injured. I understand he's in the best shape of his life right now, playing the best basketball of his life. But look, he's already torn a ligament in his shooting hand's thumb. I understand it's, it can't get any worse because it's fully torn. But just why even have him out there, you dope? Take him out of the game. You wouldn't have that injury. We'd be in great shape to take on the heat. And look, we beat him without Joel and without Harden earlier in the year. And we beat him pretty handily. But we're talking about playoff Jimmy Butler. Playoff Jimmy Butler, he don't mess around. He's a guy we never should have let, let walk. Obviously, Ben Simmons was one of the key reasons why he did walk. He hated Ben. He had his mentality. And I believe the entire NBA now hates Ben. I don't think anybody likes him. Screw Ben Simmons. Love that he didn't play a single game for the Nets. He, he may never play a game in the NBA again. How funny would that be? The guy has absolutely no desire to play basketball, and he's getting paid a ridiculous amount of money to do so. No heart for the game. Can't stand the guy. So glad he's gone. But I, you're putting yourself in a very bad spot. Could the series go six? Could it go seven? Possibly. But without Joel Embiid for at least the first two games, and then best-case scenario, He's back for game three, wearing that mask again. No idea how he's going to be able to play with an uncomfortable shooting hand and with a mask that he, you know, consistently last year was, or, or the year in the bubble when he had the mask on, was was really frustrated with it. I know a couple of times he took it off and threw it. Uh, so no idea what kind of level of play you're going to get from that. I, I'm going to have it a hard time to see them getting out of the second round. But the number one thing I'm really concerned about is, is that going to keep, Len Rivers as the head coach of the of the Sixers. Is the front office gonna be like, oh well, look, he you know, he coached a great game six. They won by 35. They were gonna be extremely poised to beat the Heat in the second round. And then, you know, Joel Embiid, that injury is completely out of his control, even though, as we just discussed, it was not. He is the second most uh leading uh I don't know. He he's second. And the cause of that, in the in the reason that that occurred, I'm trying to, I don't even know the words right now for, for Glenn and his idiocracy. Uh, second most to blame. There we go. <laughs> yeah, podcast much? Second most to blame. Is that going to keep his job? Are they going to say, look, he had no Joel. What is he supposed to do? We coached a good game. Got us a you know a top four seed after a number of injuries and after all kinds of ups and downs of the season with Ben Simmons and James Harden and all the all the different things with that. And we lost Drummond Curry with the trade and we have no bench and, and he did well. I sure hope not. We need this guy completely gone. He sucks. He is holding this team down. He had a team of three Hall of Famers and won one championship with them. And he was the reason it wasn't more. If you let that team, if if Garnett was a player coach, they would have won three years. I mean, this guy sucks. And he thinks he is incredible. He saw that ranking of him in the top 15 coaches. He's not even in the top 50 coaches of all time. But he talks like he's the best coach in the world. And we're going up against Eric Spolstra, who is probably the number one coach in the NBA right now. I'm not a big pop fan. Uh, obviously, his, his track record 
shows that he's a great coach, but I don't think he's all that amazing. Certainly top five, but not in that top two discussion. Uh, Spolstra right now is act of active coaches is right there at the top of active coaches. And he's going to show you what a real NBA coach can do. Uh, so that's really all to say about the Sixers right now. Nothing too much. And then we can take 30 seconds to talk about the Flyers. I don't know why they sucked. I couldn't even watch them. I didn't go to a single game this year. And I usually go to like 10. I mean, they had Travis Sandheim led the team in plus minus with you you ready for this. A plus minus of nine. Of all players that played at least 60 games, there were only two players that had a positive plus minus. And that is Travis Sandheim, like I said, with the plus nine. And then where is the other one here? I just had it up. Bear with me. Uh, Justin Braun. He played 61 games and he was a plus three. Yeah, you had Broussard who played 31 games as a plus six. I mean, it, it's a joke. When your leading point scorer was Travis Connecting with 52 points, and Travis Connecting sucked all year. Your leading goal scorer is James Van Riemsdyk with 24 points. Like, that's a joke. Cam Atkinson, 23 goals, 27 assists. Fine. I mean, the guy's old. The, the whole team sucks. And look, as a guy that was a huge, huge Carter Hart fan, and I get it's hard to really judge him based on the defense that was in front of him and how the guy we traded for to be the on the first pairing, Ryan Ellis only played four games, and then you have Rista Linen going out there, and he doesn't. he's trying to figure out what to do. He was a minus nine with 16 whopping points. <sighs> Captain Keith Yandel, you ended his game-played streak. They handled that so poorly. But even Captain Keith Yandel, obviously not a captain of the team but that was his nickname for a while he was a minus 47 great job captain keith uh looks like he led the entire team with a minus 47 look there's nothing else to say about this team i thought for a while they didn't own the first or their first round pick for next year i thought they lost that in either the uh, brawn or ristolina trade learned in fact they do have their 2023 first round pick so They've got to be in the top. I believe they have uh, the second or third best odds for the first overall selection. But even that, with the way that the NHL lottery is, they only have got like a 15% chance of getting that pick. So, And it's, of course, it's a, they, they choose a year to suck where there's really no true superstar coming out in the draft. So much like that Nolan Patrick year, they, they've got nothing. They This team has nothing. They're not going to be anything. They have no real studs in the minors. It's going to be a long time before you see this team being consistently good again. And, and you hate to see Claude Giroux leave. They did him so dirty. All he wanted was a guarantee to come back in free agency, which is the dream scenario. He gets to go somewhere. We get a haul for him, and then we bring him back, and we let him finish his career here when he's been my favorite player for you know pretty much my entire life. And they're like, no, we can't guarantee you that. I get it. You don't want a guy super old, but look, let the guy finish his career here. And then he says, okay, fine. Then I'm going to pick the team I'm, I, I'm traded to. And he, he narrowed it down to, to the Panthers and they got a lot less for him than what they could have got for him. So they screwed that situation up. It's, it's what you get when you have a company owning a team rather than a person. They need to Comcast needs to sell this team to somebody that's actually interested in a winning hockey team. They have no interest. Mike, Mike, Yeo, Mike, yo, I, he needs to be fired. He, I get it. He was the interim coach, but how has it been 
what, two days, three days since the last game of the season and nobody's been fired. We need to clean house. Chuck Fletcher, gone. Mike Yo, gone. Everybody, gone. Get these guys out of here. Clean house. Start new. New ownership. New captain. Everything. Everything needs to be new. This team sucks, and it's an embarrassment. It's it's terrible to watch. I love this team, and I couldn't even watch them play. I couldn't watch them on TV. Couldn't watch them live. And look, the the fans did right by by pretty much boycotting it and not even going to the games. You need to hit the the ownership group where it counts, and that's in their wallets. And that's pretty much it. That wraps up season two, episode one. Uh, super excited to be starting this back up. I missed it greatly on top of, like I said, coach Joey having baby scoots. I started a new job recently. It's just been a ton going on, but we're, we're really excited to come back to bring in consistent content. Don't have an exact date of when coach Joey's going to be back, but I know a lot of people are extremely excited for that. Hopefully he can be back for the Sixers playoff run. And he obviously loves to talk some fills and complain some Joe Girardi with me. Going to be getting a number of other guests in here as well. But again, we've got a lot of fun stuff coming around coming around soon follow us on social media at talking 215 that is on twitter at talking 215 facebook facebook.com slash talking 215 that is talking without a g can't wait for more thanks so much hit us up in the comments